1: Okay, we are now live, how exciting. Sometimes it can be quite touchy getting on Facebook. Gave me all kinds of grief, but here we are, yay, two o'clock, just like I said with, with my friend and colleague, Brenta Montecalvo. And I'm so excited that I discovered this overlap between what Dr. Brenda does and what I do because As you guys know, my theme is to love yourself, et cetera, et cetera, standing for Embrace the Change, and how I help individuals and organizations emerge with clear vision, that's kind of a key word here, and take ownership of their choices, another key to what we're going to be talking about here, and to chart a path to their purpose so they can love self and thrive in their God-given greatness. And my four-step process is the acronym SELF, which is See, Expose, Love, and Free. And Dr. Brenda here is an optometrist. How many times did I say something that has something to do with our eyes or our vision? I was just amazed at that. And I had a conversation with Dr. Brenda a couple of weeks ago, and what she shared with me just floored me. It would just floored me. I was telling everyone about it. And so I had to reach out to her and get her on here so she can share it with you, because I know it's going to make a big difference in your life. There's two primary things that she's going to be sharing with us today. One is about our eyes, taking ownership of our eyes, because she's an optometrist and brilliant. And the other thing is she has a book. And she has written this book that is going to be helpful for parents, teachers, grandparents, and students. So thank you so much, Brenda, for joining us today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, I am so honored, Danielle, that you asked me to join you
2: and and meet your group here uh, and uh, to speak about my favorite subject, which is vision. And so thank you so much for the invitation.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Do you remember how I took notice of you the weekend of our workshop?
2: Uh, well, I know we sat next to each other for dinner, but then I. So you don't remember, you were
1: talking to someone, someone was working on their project and you went over and talked to them about something. And I was busy and involved in what I was doing too. And I just, you know, overheard, it's one of those things where you overhear and you go, huh? Kind of like that. (laughs) And you asked this person, how often do you go to the dentist? And then they, they responded. And then do you remember what you said?
2: Well, yes, I do, actually. I always say that, um, you know, how much money would you take to donate your eyes because we need them for science? And I have a million dollars. Would you take a million dollars to to give up your vision and your eyesight? And most people are pretty upset by that and they'll say no. And I say, well, how about we take 5 million or maybe a billion? So sometimes people think about it when it comes to a billion dollars. However, interestingly enough, people won't take a million dollars to give up their eyesight and yet they aren't willing to spend a hundred dollars to go to the eye, get an eye exam a good eye exam to be sure their eyes stay healthy for a lifetime yeah more than um, a lot of people don't realize that all the eye diseases that rob you of your sight you have 20 20 eyesight and no pain at the early stages and you have no idea you have anything wrong Many people think if they see fine, everything's fine. Unfortunately, that is rarely the case when those diseases begin. And the only person that can tell you if your eyes are healthy are your eye doctor. It's funny because the dentist, we go twice, maybe three times a year, and whether we have problems or not, because they've taught us to take good care of our teeth. Yet we can get another pair of teeth if we actually have to. You can never get another set of eyes.
1: Wow. Yeah, the way I remember it was that you said something to the effect, of course it wasn't, I don't remember exactly because I I was eavesdropping by accident kind of thing, Um, was sort of like, would you rather live without your teeth or without your eyes? And I just went, wow, wow. And then what you just said now is you can get another pair of teeth. Yeah. And I don't think people ever think of that. And that's why I thought this was so important because One of the other things I do is I bring awareness that emerging with clear vision is I bring awareness. I bring awareness to people about hidden trauma because there's so much trauma people, they don't address because they don't realize that that's what their issue is. And so have you bring awareness to, do you know, this is going on with your eyes? Do you know how important your eyes are? Did you ever really think about it? And so I just, what is your biggest, the biggest thing that you deal with, with your patients, your biggest, um,
2: it's interesting that you bring up trauma. So I do specialize in individuals that shut down their vision when they're in traumatic situations. The no brain way. will actually shut down, starts in peripheral, and you feel like you're in tunnel vision mode. You can notice that most people notice that if they're driving late at night and it's raining and they feel like they're driving in a tunnel. Mm-hmm. When in fact, this can happen to someone that goes through a traumatic situation. And then it's a permanent thing where they feel like their whole world is shut down. It's the brain's way of protecting you against what you don't need or want to see. And so we can open up that peripheral vision and improve the awareness. What happens when that occurs is you end up being a big head mover and it looks like you have a tracking problem when in fact you've shut down your vision. So a lot of individuals, actually 77% of the children in the classroom have some enough trauma to shut their side vision down. Wow. Um, uh, people that are in abusive situations, people that are in traumatic situations, uh, people that are concussed versus after a car accident or a sport accident, a concussion, often shut that part of the vision down. So when you go and get a vision screening, it just chests that very central part of your eyesight, which is represents only 1 million nerves that pass the message from the eyes to the brain but there are 138 million receptor cells in peripheral vision. And that shows your brain and body where you are in space and where everything else is. So when you go for an acuity test, clear vision, you're, all, you're just missing so much of the rest of that visual process. And there are 40 visual skills for learning. Only one is 2020
1: eyesight. Wow. Yeah. How many times can I say, wow, when I'm listening to you and then to find out that you deal with trauma on top of it. I think this was an ordained time. It's like the day after yeah. our workshop, I could not stop thinking about this. And it's like, I don't know that we have any overlap. It's like she she talks about eyes and it's like and then look at this. I think God's yeah. pretty smart. <laughs> yeah. It's, and so,
2: you know, they don't realize. Well, there is nowhere in the brain that does not have visual information. And I think that's the misnomer that people think it only occurs in a part of the back occipital, lobe. but in fact, they tried to find an area that did not get stimulated when you look at something and they really can't. And so so brain and eyes are actually one. And so when you have any sort of emotional situation, you're gonna change the hormonal balances and things like that that are gonna affect your visual processing as well.
1: Wow. So healing from trauma can, that affect the healing of eyes? Can the eyes heal if a person heals from their emotional trauma and they do the neuroplasticity and the brain changes? Absolutely.
2: Uh, we work a lot with neuroplasticity and dendrogenesis. Um, the only thing is we have to be aware of the fact that if that person has underwent a traumatic situation and we do help them open up their peripheral vision, that they definitely need some help guiding them through that process, because now when you open the visual system, they now have to deal with what they didn't want to deal with before. And so you have to be cautious to approach that type of a situation to make sure that you have the right support person also to guide them through that.
1: Right. Yeah. Having the proper support to go through trauma and heal of that is crucial. It's just very, very crucial. So yes.
2: Yeah, I agree. (laughs)
1: that's that's part of what I do and I want to be the support system for those that I can coach through that and those that need to go through therapy I will direct them to that because I have been through that myself so like there's there's it's how much do you need and what kind is it because there's so many different kinds of trauma
2: yeah and there's so many different kinds of therapists so to make sure that you get to one that understands those components is certainly helpful
1: oh right and one that you you gel with properly, you have a rapport with, because I went through three, I think it was three before I found the counselor that actually helped me. I went through one years before that, and he might have caused more harm than good. But then when I went into therapy to write my book, my first book, you know, I went to one therapist and she ended up calling me a liar and I went to another one and I don't remember what happened on the phone with her and then I went to another one and finally it's like I had a meltdown on the phone with the one who became my, my uh, counselor and she helped me so much and uncovered things I didn't know existed and now I've learned science terminology for these things that we didn't have that terminology before, like childhood emotional neglect that was not uh-huh. a term that she was aware of, but now in the last couple of years, I've learned that term. And that was part of my issue was childhood emotional neglect. We didn't, she, she identified it with just something terribly went wrong.
0: <laughs>
1: that's, that was how she identified it. And I went, what? That was just normal. And that's a big thing with the hidden trauma of neglect, emotional neglect is people, they go, that was normal because hmm. it was their normal. But that And everybody
2: reacts to it differently. <laughs> yeah
1: well it wasn't normal but that's all they knew so to them it was normal it's like if someone can't see their peripheral vision to them that's normal but that's not normal right no question
2: i mean there's it's very often i have a even a child sitting in my exam room even and i'll be doing the exam and i'll say do you see two things when you read oh yeah all the time And I'm like, well, did you know that's not supposed to happen? No, I didn't know. And one time I was examining a little boy and his brother was sitting on the floor playing and he goes, don't you hate when that happens? (laughs) So here the mom is sitting there not knowing that their children are seeing double when they're reading and they're blaming them for not getting their work done and not doing well when in fact they're doing their, when they're processing information, they're doing it way harder than anybody else has to do it. But they had no idea that everybody else sees it clear and single when they're reading.
1: Yeah. To them, it's normal but it's not, and and that's, we have to bring that awareness. It's like what you're living is not normal. There's a better way.
2: (laughs) Well, and then they start feeling bad about themselves. So it affects their self-image and they start feeling like they're stupid. I mean, I have little kids, they start crying and they'll say, no, I'm not smart. And I go, yeah, you are. You're really smart. Mm -hmm. I said, but your vision's not helping you perform like you need to. And I said, if I take that away, uh, then things are going to be a lot easier for you. And they, uh, it's amazing because I'm old now. I'm 62. I've been doing this for 30 years. And so just the other day I was meeting uh, with an individual and they say, there aren't many Monte Calvis in the area. He says, would you by chance be the one that works with reading? And I said, yeah, I'm an optometrist. He goes, well, you worked with my son when he was little and he has a master's in some sort of engineering or something. And he said, You know, he had all these problems and and you changed his life and, you know, that's so rewarding that that lasts and and it takes it and takes him to a level that they didn't think they would be able to achieve that.
1: Yeah, that's like how I talk about your God-given greatness. That was his God-given greatness and it was being obscured by his visual problems. So tell us more about, exactly. you, how did you come about your visual secrets? Tell, tell, tell the people here your story of, about your kids and what happened with your kids and how this all came about. So um, I,
2: my kids, when we were uh, young, we had them in uh, Montessori school. And so it was a lot too stressful. You didn't have to wear shoes. You could sit on the floor and you could just learn at your own pace Mm-hmm. Uh, they had different things that you could learn and you had certain things you had to do, but other things, if you really excelled in math, you could do more of that. So it was, it was a real positive environment. Uh, however, we bought some land in the country and we moved out to the country It's too far to take him to the Montessori school. So we entered him to a, a public school in the area. Mm-hmm. It's a small town. So we didn't have private schools here. And so, uh, you know, they all of a sudden uh, had to wear shoes. They didn't have any friends they didn't have any new friends. So it was a bit stressful and they had homework, which they had never had. They had grades, which they'd never had. So all of a sudden our family was trapped into hours and hours of homework, trying to figure out which assignment to do. And oh my gosh, it was so stressful to figure out what they're supposed to do every day because they'd never had planners and all these other things. And so uh, it was, it was like all of our private family time was spent trying to get through hours and hours of homework and all the assignments and all that stuff. And, And before, when they came home from school, it was family time, private time. They could have time with fun for the friends and family and do sports, but we were just trapped. And I know a lot of families are like that. I work with patients that spend every waking hour doing their homework of their kids, first grade, second grade, how stressful for that, you know, if I told my staff that they had to work. Every moment they're awake when they go home, they wouldn't work for me anymore. But our kids, they have to they have to sit on hard chairs, they have to put their shoes on, they have to follow all those rules, and they're just little kids. And so I ha- was aware of a lot of these things that we use for our patients, and so I started designing these activities that could change how they gathered visual information academically, and hence I wrote... I started teaching my visual secrets to them in math, spelling, reading, handwriting, composition and um, spelling. And so then I started teaching them how to do it efficiently, how to read faster, uh, how to get their work done more quickly. And all three uh, started getting better grades. They uh, didn't have any homework. They had more time to develop those new friendships, more time to play sports. And then when they came home, we had more time for nice family sit down dinner time versus trying to get their homework done. And it it was really positive. And so then I started teaching my patients' kids who have the same problems. So after their visual skills are developed, then many kids don't know how to bridge them over to academic success. So they get stuck because they have old habits that get in their way. And so they convert and bridge these new visual skills over to good learning skills. And we take them step by step through each of those subjects and there's different fun activities they can do so that they can develop the visual perceptual, visual thinking skills important for performing all those subjects, handwriting, spelling, math, composition, and reading. And so uh, then I told myself I wanna write a book on it. I gave the workshops in my office for like Mm -hmm. 20 some years and everybody said, you need to write a book, you need to write a book. And I said, I know I need to write a book. And then uh, I turned 60 So it's really good to turn 60 sometimes. I say, if I don't write it now, I'm never going to write it. So uh, I happened to see the Igniting Souls program and I signed up for it and I wrote my book and got it out. And then we were at table 15 at one of the conferences and everybody says, you need to actually bring it out in 2020, the year of vision, right? And so (laughs) instead of 2019, I held it to 2020, came out on Dr. Sue's birthday, which is reading day, national reading day. Oh, right. What date is that? Uh, it's either March, March 3rd, March 3rd. And, but two weeks later, COVID hits. And so, so instead of being able to promote it, you know, then I thought, oh my gosh. So then I started learning how to do all of these things on social media and all that. And, and trying to share that message and, and do more interviews. And I do appreciate getting the message out to more parents. So, um, so that's kind of how my, I came about doing this and I love doing, doing it for, for how long before ourselves. you
1: wrote the book? Pardon? How long were you doing this with your kids and teaching it before you? Oh gosh, wrote the my book? son's
2: 31. So he was about 10 when I started doing activities. Wow, so, you so you were doing it for years. 20
1: years before you wrote the book. Wow.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I have Carrie and I in the back of my head.
1: I have Carrie in the back <laughs> of my head of why we, you know, our book is it holds transformation. And if we don't market yeah. it, then we are stealing transformation from people. And what you have yeah, and- you provided here with this book is transformation for, for people.
2: Thank you for that. Yeah, I I really my motto has always been better vision, better life, better world. And I know that if I can help people have a better vision that they can be and do more because they have a better life. They feel better about themselves. And then when they feel better about themselves, they go out and make a better world. So, I mean, I really believe my book will change the world because people help change how they use their vision because it really encompasses everything we do all day long. And so the other really beautiful thing that Carrie has taught us is that you know if you just did it here in this local community when i died it, all those ideas are gone so now you know i've actually uh, exciting news i the i have a person in in greece who's translating it and he's almost done with the translation i have another one it says switzerland so I really am going to be able to reach the world to help everyone improve those skills so they can be more successful. Because you really need what's amazing to me when I start in this writing thing is listening to people say, Oh, I'm a bad speller, I'm not good at math, and they're adults. And I'm like, you don't have to say that. You don't have to be bad at those things. You can really make those better at any time. You could read faster. You don't have to listen to audiobooks. You can read faster and get more reading done in a short period of time. And I like, I tried an audiobook the other day, and in my car it's okay, but but, you know, when you get a book, sometimes you want to just read it really quick and see where the good stuff is. And time is so valuable, right? Mm-hmm. So if you can use your vision, maximum potential, you save so much time because we only have so much while we're here on this earth. And right. you can spend more time making, like you do, changing people's lives with your coaching and and helping them through the trauma. If you had to take forever to figure out all the social media and you couldn't read through stuff quickly, it would take forever to be able to share that message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
1: yeah, I want to help people with their inner vision. So together we work together really well. Absolutely. And that's a real awesome discovery.
2: Yeah. It's, it's uh you know, it's when you start listening for the word vision, how many times people use the words vision and eyes and looking and seeing in their language. And I didn't realize it until, you know, with, with Carrie and everybody, you do a lot more word recognition and And I'm like, wow, everybody uses the word vision and eyes and see, but yet we don't understand the process of how important it is to make it work right.
0: Yeah.
1: That's awesome. Now, you said your book is getting translated into different languages. How are are you doing that? Is that through the Author Academy Elite?
2: No. Well, so... Before I wrote the book, I did international speaking on Mm -hmm. these areas because I work also with people that have something called strabismus and amblyopia, and that's something something called the lazy eye.
0: Mm -hmm. I have a whole
2: bunch of- Not the fancy
1: term, but I'm familiar with lazy eye.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then, so that's a whole, I do a lot of lectures on that. And then I have taught people how to do the workshops on helping kids learn better and the third big category is I work a lot with brain injury and trauma in oh, wow. that area. So a stroke uh, field effects. And so um, I've been fortunate. My mom's an optometrist. She practiced for 70 years. My daughter's an optometrist. Wow! And so, uh, so I'm well known in the optometric community. And so when my book came out, I have a friend in Greece. I have a, I used to live in Spain. So actually I have a friend in Spain and I have a friend in, uh, in uh, Switzerland that Wanted to translate it, so we started working on it.
1: Oh, you're inspiring me. My books have sold in different countries, but they're oh. not translated, so maybe so you I have to get a friendship. Translated. Yeah, you
2: got to get a friendship going and, and see if somebody wants to work on it. Uh, it's very expensive to pay for it, so we just did a uh, like a shared joint program where you know, shared profits a little bit over there, and uh, I keep the the copyright to it, but, um, but I think that if we get the right optometrist working as a group, and my goal is for this world to believe and know how important vision and eyesight is mm-hmm. and so that they have to take care of it. And I think the book is a stepping stone to reach people like parents and teachers to demand what an optometrist can give instead of just going in and have them flip a couple dials and give you an eyesight pair of glasses You say, well, why aren't you going to give me a real exam. Why aren't you gonna test all my visual skills? And in the back of my book, I actually way in the back have a whole list of questions you can ask your eye doctor to see if you are getting the right exam. And when the parents and the public ask for a complete eye exam, then the professions are gonna make sure it happens. Right now our profession is, is really focusing on eye disease and 2020 eyesight, which I think is very important but it's only one piece of the puzzle and we we don't help people if we don't talk about all the parts
1: yeah i, I have part- no idea i yeah. have no idea to me an optometrist you go there when you need glasses that was all it well, was and, and it is so and that's much what more
2: <laughs> it is and i think when the public demands that they give them everything they actually have learned in school i think that the the world's going to change and it's going to take time but we have to Instead of, we've always tried to work with our organizations and other health professionals. And I think the public needs to demand it. And I think when the public demands it, that that's going to make a bigger difference.
1: Yeah. And awareness is a big part of that.
2: Yes. They and need to know that they need to ask for it. Absolutely. <laughs> Just and, you like know, the little kid
1: with the double vision, he thought that was normal, you said. Yeah. And so they go to the eye doctor, they get this little thing. They think that's normal. They think they're getting everything. So they don't demand anything more. So I thank you for what you do.
2: And the other thing they'll do is they'll put eye drops in their eyes before they do an eye exam. And you can't Mm -hmm. test any near vision on children when you do that. And that's where they work the whole time, all day, up close. And so once you put the drops in, you can't test any of the visual skills important for learning. All you can do is check their eye health. And so it's a disadvantage to that patient when that happens. So. You want I want therapy. to come to you
1: to have you check my eyes. Thanks, come on over.
0: Come on <laughs> and over. I
1: started listening to you because of what you said, because I want to throw in here something that I have been telling everyone, because if you are someone, I'm 62, just like you, Brenda, um, and I had cataract surgery in one eye. I had a LASIK surgery in one eye, and when I went in the for the cataract surgery, the anesthesiologist gave me all these negative things that were gonna to happen to me. And I'm like, wanna stick my fingers in my ears and go la, 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 la. So when I came out, then I'm, I want to be able to see and read. And I've always had, you know, really good vision until I did the LASIK thing. Cause, but so I thought that if I didn't use glasses and I, I would be making my eyes work harder and that would make them stronger, like muscles, right? That made sense to me. And then talking with you, you're like, no. So tell the people what they're doing to their eyes, if they won't, because now I use these on my computer and reading and doing everything. Now, if I'm, you know, if I'm close enough that it affects it right now, this is far enough. So this is good, but I start getting in here. I need to put those on. So.
2: And I bet you feel a lot better at the end of the day. Yeah. You're less stressed. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, what happens is, um, First of all, the muscles of the eyeball, there's six of them in each eyeball. The eyeball is only seven ounces. So as far as strength goes, it really doesn't make them any, you don't need a stronger muscle. And the ciliary muscle. That's is,
1: ignorance it, talking. I'm, <laughs> I'm telling that myself.
2: No, it, everybody says it though. I can't tell you how many times I hear it. It's so true. And the ciliary muscle is itty bitty tiny one. Interestingly enough, it's involuntary. So that's the one for focusing. It's supposed to be flexible. Now, absolutely, you should work it back and forth. Look up. Like I'm looking at the computer. I always tell people, look up over the top of the computer, far away while you're working close, and then come back. It's like creating some flexibility at any age is important. Um, so what happens when you try to read those reading glasses, your eyes begin to strain and you start squinting to try to see And then you develop what we call astigmatism, which is just an oval eye. But then all of a sudden you start giving up your good distance vision because the brain says, oh, I need to see clear up close. So if I create an eyesight problem far away, I actually create an automatic bifocal for me. And now you're wearing glasses far and eventually you'll need them at near and then you need them all the time. So I say, if you get the right lens for near, when you're about 42, 43, You don't have to use it all the time, but at least if you're going to be studying or doing more than half an hour, it's going to protect your eyesight like vitamins do. So Hmm. then I tell them, then you won't need distance glasses. You will be able to see clearly far away 2020 for your whole life if you protect your eyesight by using the right lenses. And nowadays, these computers and with COVID, I can't tell you how many vision problems we're seeing now that we've never seen before? I don't know if you can tell, but I have an anti-reflection coating on my glasses. It helps protect from the blue light from the computers because no matter what color you make your screen, that blue light affects things like cataracts, degeneration, and dry eye. When you're using a commuter, you, your blink reflex decreases by 65%. So you have dry eye, and the dry eye makes you not see as well. And then you squint more, So the part of the optics of the eye is the tears. So making sure you're addressing that dryness issue uh, early on is important. Even though you don't feel it dry, if your white part of your eye is red, they are dry and -hmm. they need to to work with. And then we talk about nutrition. And I don't know if I've spoke of this with you, but we talk a lot about nutrition. So for your eye tears to be good, you have to have lots of foods that are high in vitamin A, like apricots or orange uh, vegetables and fruits. You have to have, for women over 40, oils are very important. So the the, um, omega-3, 6, 9 in a well-balanced system, fish oil, flax oil, uh, all that sort of thing is real important. Your skin is dry, your eyes will be dry. So uh, we actually make supplement recommendations to help improve the dryness. And then for mac generation, which affects a lot of older people, uh, spinach is really great. So we're talking about food all the time. This is what you can do to keep your eyes healthy.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That's really awesome. I was thinking about an a acronym today <laughs> and it, it spelled the word eat. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, you know, emerge and thrive, you know, but if you emerge with, you know, the, the information that you need, then you can thrive. And so eating is a part of that in so many different ways.
2: Oh, absolutely. Oh. And yeah, and, and you can really change how some of these disease processes that can cause your sight to be lost if you get in there ahead of time. Uh, mm-hmm. and try to to work with it yeah and so prevent them from losing their sight because it's so sad when you're you know you retired and you start getting the mac generation and you can't read anymore and and what are you going to do if you can't see you can't drive and you can't read uh it's it's kind of depressing to mm. to see those individuals because physically they usually can't move as well so they're, they're just really limited
1: yeah well this has been awesome thank you so much for sharing all this wonderful information so tell the people where they can find you where they can find your book okay sure
2: and and just again um, i'll just hold it up so my my name is dr brenda monte calvo it's kind of a big name and visual secrets for school success how to uh, read faster write better and master math and spelling and uh, I do have a website, www.brendamontecalvo.com. So you can go on there. My book is on there. I um, also have some courses about how to take you step-by-step for a 12-week program on how to help your, yourself or your students improve in any of those subjects by doing fun activities to build those visual skills. How to find the right optometrist is in there. What is vision all about? So there's a lot of good information. Um, It's also available on Amazon. It's at the major bookstores, books and company, all that as well. So thank you so much, Danielle, for listening and helping me share the message uh, together. We're a great team.
1: Oh, yeah, I see that. It was it's amazing. So um, I'll talk to you in just a minute here. And I just want to say thank you, everyone, for watching us. And I will see you again later.